He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Brand new year, January 1, 2022. What do you do for a New Year's party? For me, I have friends over. Three great friends grace our show this week. Our troubadour, Dave Gunders, perfect song about a boulder calamity. All that water is about the boulder flood suffered by the same corridor in Boulder County. So sorry for those people. We talk about it, the fire. All that water is about rebuilding. That's what we need to do now. Please let the casualties be low. Rhonda Fields and I talked. She's a Colorado state senator, the perfect guest this week. One, because she's my friend. Two, because I've worked with her on some really important matters. Some of it, her legislation. Before that, she worked for United Airlines. Then her son got murdered and she got active. I somehow ended up in the middle of it, and we talk about it on this special New Year's show. We react to the violence perpetrated by that man bent on revenge against tattoo industry people. He wrote about it. He talked about it. How we discuss what that feels like. Rhonda, who was threatened by a man, middle-aged white man, who loved guns just like this guy. What are we going to do about these people? Why don't we have a more effective gun restraint and gun control? We also need to restrain men who would violate young people. Usually it's men. Sexual abuse on a child is a horror. I've had the privilege of representing the state of Colorado, prosecuting some terrible rapists and some people who commit crimes against children. In my civil practice, I've done that as well. I got one of the best Title IX rulings in our favor, a young girl victimized by her teacher, sexual abuse. I hate that sort of stuff. Now we can do something about it. Summer Luther is my special guest. She's doing something about it, too. Summer Luther is the past president of the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association. I've worked with her many times on many cases. She is a star and she is in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Learn about this new law. We've been hitting it hard for a few weeks because I like to help people who have been hurt through no fault of their own. It's what I do. It's what Summer Luther does as well. She is a great guest in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. So we have an action-packed show. Troubadour, Summer Luther, and let's get it kicked off with my friend... My client, the one and only Senator Rhonda Fields. Gosh, 
It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887, or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hello there. Happy New Year, Senator Fields. Happy New Year's to you as well. It's so good to talk to you, Rhonda. First and foremost, as a friend, and in the interest of full disclosure on my podcast, I've been your lawyer a time or two, and we're going to get to that. And honest to goodness, the main reason I called is because I was doing a special show about your new law when I say you you are one of the sponsors of what I think is a terrific new law. It went by 21-88 Child Sexual Abuse Accountability Act. And I wanted to thank you on behalf of victims of horrible crimes, even if it happened back January 1, 1960. You made that happen. And we're going to yes. get to that, Rhonda. But okay. We've got to talk about the fire that just devastated part of our state. I know you represent Aurora, but all of us, I think, have a connection to Boulder, that area. I lived in Louisville my first year of law school, but talk to us as a respected state official. What do you think? I'm devastated. I am devastated. When I see the images um, where people like I don't know, over 500 homes have been, you know, burned down to the ground with people not having much notice. Uh, some people were like out shopping and they couldn't get back to their to their homes. And I don't know how you process the trauma that's associated with even like, what do you get? What do you pick out? And when you only have seconds, I am absolutely devastated. So I'm so glad you... Uh, brought up this topic because I think it's something that has to be addressed because when anyone in our state and community is hurting and they're in harm or they're having issues, I I just, uh, it's just hard to deal with. I'm traumatized. I know, but you're in a position to do something about it. I can talk about it. I know, and I know we're not supposed to talk about a lady's age, but You and I are of the same vintage. When we went to high school, we didn't study climate change. But boy, is this an education. And you're in a position to maybe do something about it. Talk to us about how this impacts your feelings about climate change and whether it's smart to have power lines that can cause a fire. We never thought December would be fire season, let alone New Year's Eve, but it is. So 
Do we need to have a new grid, something safer? Yeah, and this is not new as relates to power lines, you know, causing wildfires. Fires. Right. It, California. It's, it's not new. Right. Yeah, it, it's been going on for a very long time. So we've known about this, but we've done very little to protect property and people at the expense of maybe corporate America who, you know, whoever has these lines, why can't they be under the ground? Right. Yes. So, let's get um, with it. Right. Let's get with it. Yeah. Because we know it exists. I, I believe the science, I believe the science as it relates to um, climate. And I, I believe seeing, my eyes too. And uh, you and I, we've lived in Colorado forever. The weather is not the same. It's no. changed. I've not seen snow in Aurora. Right. Nor have we in the the Denver area. And and remember, we used to always have regular afternoon rain showers in the spring and summer. Where's that gone? Yeah, typically it snows on on, uh, Halloween. But we have not seen any high concentration of snow in the metro area. I'm a golfer, so I remember the Christmases when I played golf, usually in San Diego. You can get on Torrey Pines on Christmas. But in Denver, I played some years, but never all of December. It's it's just kind of weird. And, you know, I'm thinking about Michael Swingert, who is one of the five victims. He was a great golfer. Oh, I have a lot yeah. of friends who know him. And I, I want to turn to the subject of crime, sadly a topic you know too much about, but you're putting it into practice in the state senate where you can mm-hmm. affect change. Mm-hmm. I, I've rarely seen a crime spree like that. Let me bring people up to speed. Oh, Monday, yes. this yes. guy, I'm not going to say his name, but he had written down how he was going to murder these people, self-published a book. He was a racist, a, a misanthrope. Uh, he had been... 86th from some tattoo businesses, and he hated that and the people who caused it. Why he killed Michael Swinyard, I don't know for sure, but he went to his high-rise, 12th and Williams, somehow got past the security guard on the pretense he was law enforcement, just like he said in his book. And then he went to the door, bolted his way in, and he killed Michael Swinyard, who had been given a copy of the book because this guy wanted to taunt his victim. And it happened, and the police knew about it ahead of time. They didn't do anything to stop it. And I feel terrible. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Thank God a hero, lady cop, Ashley Ferris, killed this man and stopped him before he was going to carry out, no doubt, a bunch of further murders. Anyway, who did I think about? Oh, my gosh, Rhonda Fields, because... I mean, I, I, I just, you're my friend. I thought, um, what's Rhonda thinking as she absorbs this? Because not only was your beautiful son, Javad, killed, Javad Marshall Fields killed with his beautiful fiance, Vivian Wolf, an atrocity that happened in unincorporated Rappahoe County brought the two of us together. But uh, yes. such a loss for you. And then also, I represented you when you got threatened. Your life yes. was threatened in your home. Yeah. I'll shut up, That's but nobody too. could talk about this with more personal feeling than you, Rhonda. What's going through your mind as 
Denver and Aurora. Don't you think we're going through a crime wave? I do. And and what I want to do is just kind of celebrate law enforcement, especially this woman. A, a lot of yes. times I think people underestimate the power of a woman. And she was shot. It's my understanding in reading the report. She was shot. And uh, I don't know if she was on her back or whatever, but she was able to, st- you know, still have the cognitive ability to kill this person. Yes. And that needs to be celebrated. We should never underestimate the power of a woman. It doesn't matter what occupation they have. Let's but I name, celebrate let's, her today. Let's, let's name the state capital after Ashley Ferris. I'm so proud of her, and it's so appropriate. And in your case, too, Gretchen Fronapple, she yes. put that case together. She and, did. And, oh, my God, I'm just going to set this up further because Jared Polis just— intervened as a governor to commute a big sentence, and Gretchen Fronapple put together the case against the miscreants, the horrible people who slaughtered your son, prospective yes. daughter-in-law, and then you had a commutation against your desires, and oh my God, the outcry. I'm going to shut up, but I'm just saying <laughs> when it comes to these current events, news issues, I, I can't believe I have Rhonda Fields on. Uh, so... Let, let, yeah, let's go just, back to Ashley Ferris, because you started with the police. Let's celebrate what the great ones do. They save us. They are our heroes, and a lot of them are the women. Front line. They're on the line every day. And, and what I've learned through the course of my own trials and my own scars as it relates to the death of my son is that there's no truth in, in uh, sentencing. Amen. There's and, just no and, truth in it. Right, my, and as a prosecutor, cannot, right, I'd get these yeah. big sentences and people would say, well, what does that mean? Will they be there for the rest of their life? I said, we will find out, right? And I think I was telling my son that I got a lot of people sentenced to over 100 years, and I presume they're still incarcerated, but I don't check all the time. Yeah. Uh, from a victim's perspective, it's got to be frustrating. It is very um, frustrating because when you're a victim of a horrible or horrific crime and the judge and the jury comes back with a sentence, you, you expect for it to be honored. But what happens is there's all these other criteria and elements that says, OK, you get so many free days off or, you know, if you go to college, if you do whatever you need to do. And people who are incarcerated do what they need to do in compliance to reduce their sentence. But doesn't mean that they understand the magnitude of the crime that they committed against that victim. I mean, they're just trying to get out of jail. So when the governor says, we're going to give you 10, how did he come up with 10 years? I think uh, maybe Kim Kardashian told him. And that way you could say I knocked off 100 oh, years. No, no, it's no, still double digits. <laughs> I, I, I can't help but think it's political. And let's go right there. We'll touch on all these bases. But I okay. think Jared Polis made a big mistake because he should have stayed out of it. You've seen the criminal justice system. It's slow. It's unwieldy. But it works if you let it work. Like in the case of the killers of Javad and Vivian, 
two death penalties. And then John Hickenlooper responding to social media pressure and maybe his own conscience. The death penalty is a difficult issue. He, is. he pulled the rug out from under you after you went to every hearing, you saw everything, and that's what makes you a different kind of Democrat. And do you agree with me that Jared Polis screwed up here? He should have let the Jeffco court system do its thing? Well, I don't know how you can put a a, a, a sentence on life. So it's my understanding and. Let me know if I'm wrong. I think there were four people that were killed in that accident. Correct. Okay, if that's correct, and you do you do the math. I mean, I mean, these people have lost their loved ones who are probably uh, providing financial support for their um, loved ones in yes. their homes, and then all of a sudden they have to recalibrate how they're going to support their family. And he gets 10. I don't even understand the rationale behind 10 years. Well, how I, do you come I, up with 10 years? Here's what I don't like about it. Jared Polis talked to a Kardashian. Marshall Zellinger asked a good uh, question. When he didn't answer, you know it's true. And he did it. Uh, and, and maybe 10 years is the right sentence because this guy who blew off a bunch of runaway ramps, maybe he panicked, maybe he didn't read English, Maybe he had a really bad truck, but he could have gone into the bridge and uh, killed himself. Instead, he decided to plow into people, and he walked away. Four people didn't, and a lot of other people injured. It's a tough case, and maybe 10 years is the right sentence, but I don't know because I didn't sit through the trial. Jared Polis doesn't know, but the prosecutors were there. The defense attorney was there, and a judge a judge, a judge who a judge. should have the power to sentence. I don't like uh, mandatory consecutive sentences in these circumstances, but the judicial system was working it out. And this just looks like a grandstand play, and I like Jared Polis. He's done nice things for me. I bet you like him too, but what did you do here, Governor? Yeah, I, I don't know what kind of message that's sending to the um, the citizens and and law enforcement and the and the people in Colorado. I mean, it's like I I just don't get it. And well, I have I, not I had a chance it. to if, reach if, out to the to the um the victims. I don't know how they feel. Right. And I don't know how he could have heard from all the victims because a lot of other people were injured. Give it a little time. You know, maybe you're working on a New Year's Eve schedule and a Kardashian timetable. If I represented somebody who did something like this, my first call would be to the Kardashians. Hey, can you can you give me a hand? I I just I mean, how, how did you process it? Now it was John Hickenlooper who pulled the rug out from under you. He, did he talk to you? And yes, yes, Hickenlooper did call me before he made his announcement, and so we did have a discussion about it. And you know, him being the governor at that time. He has the authority to execute, you know, his privilege that he has. Right. I, I didn't agree with it. I didn't like it, but he had the courtesy to call. Well, the other thing that we saw, and the video is hard to watch, but this guy gets out uh, in Lakewood 
to kill another guy in another tattoo parlor, and you see him get out of the car, and he has another big gun. I don't know if it's an AR or whatever, but it's not a pistol. It's one of those guns that you and I don't like on the streets of Colorado, and your son and daughter-in-law were murdered by guns, and you've dedicated yourself to this. And to me, you know, we can talk about the politics of this white guy and his hatred and bigotries, but sometimes it comes from people on the left, and and the, the common denominator always is the gun. So we've got a gun problem. Isn't that evident after this week? Talk to that, Senator. Yes, we do have a, a serious gun problem. And I've worked really hard over the course of my career under the dome to address it. But I'm not pleased with the uh, increase of violence that I'm seeing in my community. Just think about Aurora. And we had a couple of drive-by shootings in uh, some of the Aurora public schools. And it's just kind of senseless. And then we have this recent incident as relates to these tattoo parlors. I mean, these people were like, like minding their own business, doing really good work. And they were adored in the community and their lives was taken. And I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around why. I, I, I hear that he was troubled and he had maybe, I don't know. I, I, I hear that he was troubled, but I don't know anything about his issues. But well, to take I someone's life. Yeah, he, he, he wrote books and he was a racist. We can see he's a white guy. I'm not aware of him being married to anybody. It's like one of those guys who goes off at a workplace with violence. They also have an authoritarian impulse, just like the killers of your beautiful son. Uh, they, they, And we've seen it in our society, and it's true of the rapists. And we will get back to the people who would do this kind of crime. There's an element of humanity that has an authoritarian personality where they think they're better than you and you are disposable. It's kind of like Ghislaine Maxwell. How did she do that to those girls? She looked down her nose at them. She thought they were trash, just disposable. And the people who will pull the trigger and end the life of somebody, by definition, they feel like they have that power and they're better and they, they can kill these lesser people based on their gender or their skin color. And it's outrageous, and it's the common denominator. Yeah, and I think your, your term in reference to being disposable is, is uh, really key. Because it happens in policing. It happens in our criminal justice system. It happens in housing. It happens in the labor market. Some people don't b- believe that all human life has value or or equal value to their life that's right so we have to push beyond that when i think about legislation um you know legislation is not the the answer to all of what's going on right now it's going to take the collaboration and partnership with uh, some nonprofits, with hospitals, with teachers, with police department. We all have to play a role in making sure that our community is safe and secure. And we need business communities to do the same thing. But 
I don't know. It's really a complicated issue that has to be addressed. Right. But I thought growing up, and I'm still growing up, that, of course, there are some authoritarian personalities, but it's not that mm-hmm. widespread. Most people are good. Yes, you're right. But but then I saw our last president, who was an authoritarian figure, and a lot of people yeah. dig it. And I'm thinking, whoa, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at your numbers. And so I think that's been unleashed and contempt for the rule of law that we see from the former president who won't honor a subpoena or, or cooperate with any investigation where a Democrat's involved. I, I just think these kind of things, to a degree, have been unleashed. And you're right to identify, like, the problems in the uh, Aurora police. You can yes. attract authoritarian personalities. Of course they're attractive, but you need to kind of weed them out. You have to do That's good right. hiring and... We're not saying all cops are authoritarian, but look at Derek Chauvin with his knee on George Floyd. Where's that come from? And so, um, but but you've experienced it. And, and back to Michael Swinyard, the poor victim. He, he knew that the guy was threatening him. And I, I got a call from you uh, long after uh, the resolution mm-hmm. of the death penalty for the perpetrators of that atrocity. Way to go. 18th Judicial District for getting that done. Um, you know how hard they worked. Um, yes, I but, do. But, but the bottom line is that many years later, as you sponsored anti-gun legislation, I don't want to say anti-gun, anti-assault weapon, I forget the exact bill, but it was mm-hmm. the thing with the Governor Hickenlooper got caught in the controversy, yeah. and, and you were at the forefront. You were a leader, and you got threats. You got threats from white supremacists who didn't like that you were black and that you were a woman and that you were advocating against guns. And horrible things were written to you threatening your life. And then you gave me a call. The guy who did it was named Franklin Sane. That's right. And and he, he got arrested. And a lot of people are wondering, why didn't this killer of Michael Swinyard get arrested earlier? And how seriously is law enforcement in Denver taking threats, especially when they're written down? Yeah, that is really um, troublesome for me. And it's also baffling because he's documented his intent. And what I've learned based on my own son's murder is that you can't uh, minimize threats. Because my son... I think he knew he was being threatened, but he felt like he was going to be okay. Right. And when when it happened, you were so mad at Aurora for not protecting him because there were lots of threats against Javad, who was set to testify in a trial against the murderers of his good friend, another tragic incident that happened in Aurora. And he had the courage to testify, and they shot him to kill him so that he couldn't testify. And there were many threats ahead of time. And and I'm, I'm so sorry to bring it up, but it's important to this discussion. Yeah, yeah. And because um, he never told his mama either in reference to being threatened. I think he was trying to be a man, even though he was like 22. He was thinking probably I can um, handle it. And I thought the same way when I was threatened because of the gun legislation that I ran in 2013. But it came to the point when they threatened my daughter. 
and an email. I, you know, there's going to be lots of blood and we're going to go after your daughter. That's when I said enough's enough because I thought I could handle it. I thought it came with a job, you know, these kinds of things, but the threats that I was getting in my office and my, um, my staff, the vile tone that they were getting from my legislation that I was running in 2013, it was like background checks for, um, private sales. I mean, it was like, we already do it for new sales, brand new guns. We already do it at gun shows. I mean, it's like, why do you want to threaten me and my family? And so after that, you know, I take all threats seriously. And anyone that's listening today, if, if you're being threatened due to a partner, uh, violence or whatever it is, take it seriously. Because most of the time, I think that people act out on their um, desire to threaten and intimidate or maybe kill and harm people for whatever, for whatever reason. I don't, you know. Well, for, for, for revenge and because they're, they really are weak. They're insecure. And I worry that the pandemic gives a lot of people yeah. the excuse to say, I'm going to do it. But wow, what a powerful message. And that threat, it led you to call the police, and then you called me. Yes. And, and what was your experience like? When you get threatened, there will be blood. We had oh, to worry. Oh, no. Right. And when you lie in bed at night, are you thinking, somebody's going to break in and kill me? And I, I just I feel so bad for Michael Swinyard, who, who was threatened. The police were called. Nothing happened. And and I worry about I still worry about you. And it's not just you because I know investigators who work on white supremacy and gun issues they get threatened too. So so how do you think government should respond to that? Well, you know, I, I we had a representative that it sponsored a bill to increase the penalties that are associated with threatening uh, a public official. So that just happened. I think that was this year because we're not in 2022 yet. Happy New Year, everybody. But um, we did pass legislation to increase the penalties as it relates to threatening a, um, a uh, public official because it's happening too frequently, you know, and I, 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 really, br I really blame Trump for this because he has introduce a narrative for the country that it's okay to say and do anything. Even right, if you but, put somebody in, in fairness, Franklin Sane did that to you before Trump was really on the scene. I would say there was a fire and Trump threw gasoline on it. Yeah. So, but, but, but how did it feel? And, 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 and do you still worry about those things? And, and, why Why do you still be a public figure? Why do you still speak out under the face of those kind of threats? I think for me, um, is I just can't be on the sidelines. I think after losing my son, Javad Fields, and his fiance, it just called me to to do something so that another parent, another family member doesn't have to experience the trauma and the scars that I have. 
So I couldn't just like sit on the sidelines. I need to be actively involved in kind of shaping um, public safety, especially as it relates to uh, crime victims. So that's why I continue to do the work. Um, I'm not fearful, but I do have the support of the governor and the state patrol. They protected me and they have um, supported me. And they keep their eyes on me. They understand when I'm in committee and if somebody's acting up, you know, escort me to my car, whatever I need. So I feel somewhat safe. And I live in a community where people um, know me and they protect me. They watch my home. They watch what's going on around me. So it's, it's like a community kind of focus to uh, make sure that I'm safe. So I'm really happy for my friends, my family, my, my church, uh, my neighbors, and police, uh, you know, police, right. law enforcement, because they're right there. They understand what I do, and they, they're keeping their eye on me. You bring up your church, and I don't think it's even close. My most memorable experience ever in a church was at Chabad's funeral. Yes, and, thank you for being there. And uh, it was right in my neighborhood, right on Monaco, near GW, yes. where I went. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking about Christianity, because I don't know very much about it, really. I'm so darn ignorant. But I know that you're a proud Christian. You just brought up mm-hmm. how important your church is, and mm-hmm. I've known that ever since I've known you. Mm-hmm. And and how it helps sustain you in that time of trouble too. Thank goodness. Yes. yes. Um, but but I see, I see. Well, let me start with this. Does your brand of Christianity talk about end times and the Book of Revelations? I don't know much at all about the New Testament, but are we getting close to end times? And then there's part of a question. Because I see so many evangelicals and uh, who, who love Donald Trump and consider him messiah-like. What's going on? Can you explain it to me? I really can't. I can only explain my faith. And I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. So what happens um, beyond that? because there's so many different religions and so many different interpretations. I can't explain it, but I can only tell you that my faith has grounded me to be able to move and press forward through my depression, through the circumstances of dealing with the death of my son and his fiance. And there's just a sense of, of, um, I don't know, well-being when I'm around my other Christian people who all believe in the same faith that I have. And they sustained me and they lifted me up. They prayed for me and they wouldn't let me lie in my own depression. They told me to stand on my circumstances. And my pastor told me that, you know, you know, Javad's death was planting a seed for you to be who you are. Wow, that and so, that turned out. So, um, you know, they helped me kind of navigate it because of the um, support I had from the from the church. So, if anyone's not 
affiliated with any religion, I, I think that you should be. That's my personal view because I, I was prayed up. My grandmother prayed for me. My mom prayed for me. My dad prayed for me. So I was like prayed up when this happened. And so those prayers help sustain me through this journey that I'm experiencing right now. Well, you had a beautiful mama. I got to meet I her. I know. Yes. And, I miss her. And here's the thing about Rhonda Fields, uh, because we presume everybody knows, but I know you were you were top level at United Airlines when all this happened. You had carved out a great career in an industry Wow, what they're experiencing right now. But you didn't, you weren't in government work or politics. That preacher was right. What happened to Javad has spurred you to be the person you are. I'm proud of you. Yes. And so I just want to acknowledge my appreciation for you. Oh, come on. Because I did not know how to navigate the legal system. And so I, I just, I was like lost. I was just lost. You know, it was like 9-11, seeing the Twin Towers come down because I had Javad and I had Vivian. And I just didn't know, and I didn't know if I could trust the system enough to um, to help me through it. And so I, I made several calls. You were the only one that answered my call. And you showed up at the press conference and you helped me get through it. Oh, I showed up that, at Aurora so Police because I showed up at Aurora Police Department where they were going to give did. a press conference and you were going to let them have what was on your mind justifiably. Why didn't you protect my son and Vivian? And you were ready to explode. And I, I just suggested that maybe these are the people who are going to have to solve this case and our anger could wait and... And you and Aisha, Javad's beautiful sister, that was memorable for me. And 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 thanks for your compliment. But I realize I'm pretty old now that the thing that I like to do, based on my experience prosecuting violent crime in Denver and putting away bad guys, is I like to go to people who reach out. And back in the day, I'd reach out to them and say, wow, what happened to you was terrible. I'm going to help you, and it's not going to cost you anything. Because you know what? I like helping people. That's the way I was raised, and I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. And now, these many years later, I bet you do that all the time for people. Yeah, I do, but not at the level of what you did for me. Because I was really like a wheel spinning in mud. I I did not know my uh, how to get unstuck. And your presence created um, credibility. Because when you're African-American women, like me, a single parent, it's like people want to dismiss me. And they want to marginalize me. But you gave me the confidence and the credibility to, to, to do more than just be angry. Because I was mad as hell. I'm telling you, I was mad as hell. You had every reason to be mad as hell. Every so reason. I, I can't thank you enough for the role that you played to usher me through that journey. Because you re- really, you were the inspiration to where I am today. I, I, I believe that. Wow. 
Holy cow. You know, I, I kind of do it for selfish reasons because it makes me feel good, you know, and so, and and it's not like I can play basketball great anymore. So this is what I do with my life. And I want to thank you on this New Year's for the new law that gives people who are victims of crime a long time yeah. ago, really horrible crimes. Again, an authoritarian personality decides, you know what? Children don't have much value. Women don't have much value. Uh, black women, black girls, Hispanic girls, um, they don't have much value, so I'm going to sexually abuse them. And it's been yes. bottled up in so many people. And when they finally get strong enough, like you you look at your strength and you discovered it at a certain age it was always in you, but... When people discover it, they should not be precluded by a statute of limitations because we understand how victims of crime keep this bottled up and right. organizations have protected perpetrators, but no more That's in right. Colorado. Thanks to Rhonda Fields and your great new law. Why did you Thank pass you. it? Thanks for doing it. Yeah, the reason I've been working around this issue for a long time, I had uh two people that came to me, two women. This was after um, Bill Cosby. And you, let me were, part, you let me be part of that legislative process, too. I wrote about it. I called out Bill Cosby, and he victimized a bunch of Colorado women. Yes, he did. And so I've been, like, interested in this uh, topic for a very long time. And what has happened over the course of time, I just couldn't understand why but have the you know, statute of limitation like for 10 years. Who, who, I mean, this is like, who comes up with 10 years? Whatever it was. We right. did expand it, but it wasn't like, I was trying to eliminate the statute of limitation altogether. I couldn't get there, but I was able to expand it a little uh, longer. You did get January 1, 1960, but the windows only opened statutorily for three years, and God knows... If, if you lost awesome. power, what somebody else might do, because I'm old enough to remember when, was it Joan Fitzgerald tried to advocate for this, and I battled it out oh, on the radio, yeah. and some people said, oh, there's an attack on the Catholic Church, and I said, yes. no, this is it. This is a good law for crime victims. Anyway, it, it, that battle's over because of you. Thank you for acknowledging that. So... Um, the victims really showed up in committee and the horrific stories that they shared with us, it was just heart wrenching to hear them talk about teachers and and uh, coaches and, uh, you know, whoever, any trusted adults would use their position to um, sexually assault a, a young person. And they had to live with this for a long time. And there was no remedy for it because of the statute of limitation. And when you're a child, let's say you're 8, 9, 13, 14, and you need adults to support you. Let's say the abuse happened at your home. And if it happens at your home, where are you going to go? Right. And so as a young child, your intellectual capacity sometimes doesn't allow you to process how to get out of this. So they move on, they, you know, maybe into adulthood. So I don't think we should ever blame a victim because it took them too long to report it. 
I agree. And we found out it, so it much. It takes time. It does, and there are systems that were organized to put down these kind of charges, I not know. just in churches, but in schools and in governmental agencies. And thank goodness you guys said, hey, if this crap happened in a government office, you're accountable for that too. But, you know, most legislatures say, oh, we're going to protect our own. We're going to give sovereign immunity. No, no, nobody's no. going to get away with this anymore. And it's kind of shocking to see, you know, one famous person after another who indulged in this. I went and watched the Ghislaine Maxwell trial because it fascinates me. Think of all the powerful men who were involved in the abuse of women. And it got covered right. up. It's still being covered up. And it's not right. It's swept under the rug. And it's been swept under the rug for a long, long, long time. And it's both parties. Let's face it, JFK oh, uh, JFK yeah. was horrible, and even Martin Luther King, but more contemporarily, Bill Clinton was on the Lolita Express. He was pals with Epstein, and so was Trump. It came out at this trial that Trump was on that Epstein plane a lot. They were neighbors in Palm Beach in New York. They didn't drink. They didn't do drugs. They're... Vice was women and young women, and they did it together. And I want to know about it because uh, I, I want that exposed. And maybe that will cause some people to say, we support that guy. I think Donald Trump's a sex offender, too. I've studied the allegations against him just as I did the allegations against Cosby. And my prosecutorial instincts say, yeah, these people abuse women. Yeah, Trump really would grab women in that way or force himself on women over and over. And I'd like that to come out. What about you? Uh, it's sickening. It's just sickening. And when I think about the historical aspect of this, you know, through slavery, you know, black women were raped. Their children were taken away from them. You know, it, this this has a long history as it relates to, to, to black women, as it relates to rape and assault. And it's something that's really not given much um, legitimacy. You know, when you think about, even with the missing um, women, you know, it seems like there's always a focus on the white girl, John Bonet, uh, the one that was found in, um, in Wyoming. Right. And they yeah, really value, yes. yes, her. And then when you find a black girl or a black woman or a transgender woman that's missing in our community of color, there's not that focus. Right. And people pick up on that. And a little girl of color who gets abused, well, nobody cares about me. Yeah, we do. And the systems that would allow that to happen, you just gave me chills thinking back to slavery and the abuse that no doubt African-American women suffered at the hands of white Cretans. And, yeah. you know, my people suffered in my parents' generation in Western yes, Europe Western, and with the Holocaust. But you know what the That's difference right. is? Slavery happened in America. And where did those instincts go? And now I look at what's going on in the world, and it's kind of lining up sort of the same way. I, I mean— It really is. It really is. Yeah, except they have some northern states now, right? Like maybe yeah. Idaho or, oh. 
Right, so so that that complicates things, but it's really kind of Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, and and it's like on abortion. Let's talk about that because oh, it's going to come up in in the next month or so. I think they're going to do away with Roe versus Wade, and I think I it's going to it's going to happen. And you know, I think no, it, will cement, it can't happen. It's going to cement in every race, in every legislative race now, Roe v. Wade will be the issue. I think it's a good decision. It's a tough issue, but I I think women should have the choice. And isn't that, again, the kind of the authoritarian personality, the patriarchy, that men are going to tell women what to do with their bodies? Shameful. You know, uh, they want to restrict voters' rights. Yes. And then they want to also restrict a woman's rights. And so I think you're going to see in in Colorado this coming legislation, this coming session, where there's going to be some uh, policies that are going to be introduced to try to safeguard it. But, you know, it's still at the hands of the, the Supreme Court. We don't we don't know what they're going to do, but I know that we're not going to stand idle and, and wait for them to decide we're going to do as much as we can to protect a woman's rights for their um, personal health and choice. Yes. And I don't worry about Colorado. God bless Dick Lamb, but he had the courage and John Love, a Republican, signed it in. Colorado had an abortion law when I was growing up in Colorado, the first in the nation. So I'm not worried Mm -hmm. about Colorado, but I went down to Texas where these bad laws are emanating and I went to their state capitol. I had never been there before. I don't know much about Texas, but Beto O'Rourke called a rally and Reverend Barber, uh, the Poor People's March, and it's about yes. voting rights, which is the biggest mm-hmm. issue. And then Willie Nelson showed up, and it was a wonderful couple days in Austin. But I rode my bike around there, and my God, the Confederate monuments right there on the state uh, capitol uh, grounds to Robert E. Lee. I mean, Jefferson Davis, are you kidding me? And thanks to the brave Texas people, because the Texas uh, soldiers almost won the Civil War for them. Unbelievable. Have you ever been there? Have you ever seen that? No, I have not. But, you know, I I do a lot of reading, and um, I'm, I'm just appalled at some of these governors and um the messaging that they're sending as relates to voting, as relates to a woman's right to choose. It's like, come on, this is 2021. Who's going to take care of these kids? Why, you know? Here's what I stumbled into that I never learned in Denver public schools or at Colorado College or CU Law School. I heard about the Alamo. I thought it was some heroic struggle for freedom. And I've come to learn that those guys were a bunch of Southern white guys who wanted to do cotton business in Texas, and they didn't want to work the fields themselves. They wanted to bring slaves, and Mexico said, hey, we don't like slavery. We saw what Spain did to us, discriminating on skin color. You can't have slaves. And that's what they fought about, Davy Crockett and Travis, and and those people were fighting for slavery, and that's not taught and it should be, especially for the benefit of Mexican-Americans who get punched in the arm. Yeah, remember the Alamo? Yeah, the Alamo yeah. was about slavery. Did you know that? And to me, 
that's what this CRT bullcrap is. That's really a law school theory. But let's teach the true history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the Alamo was was a terrible white supremacist sort of thing. I'm sorry everybody got killed, but let's tell the truth. And I think the truth is hard for some people to to manage. So when you think about history and history books, the people who have the authority to draft the language in these books have been able to shape and frame the narrative in reference to history. And so they put their own spin on it. Yes, it's that great song out of Hamilton, Miranda the Genius, Lin-Manuel, who lives, who dies, who tells this story. You know what's cool mm-hmm. about podcasts? You get to tell your own story. What else do you yeah. want to tell the people of Colorado and the world as we approach New Year's 2022? Happy New Year's, everybody. Rhonda Fields, yeah. the floor is yours. I just want everyone to be uh, safe and guarded as we go into 2022. That means wear your mask when you're out in public. It means to wash your hands, to keep your social distance. And then also I want us to pray and to keep in mind the people who have lost their homes in Boulder County. I can't imagine what it's like to um, come home and seeing my home just gone. I know it. And, 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 and I've seen your house and it's kind of like mine and we have trees around and oh my God, if they catch on fire and the wind like that. But in Aurora and Denver, we say the wind never blows that hard, but maybe it will someday. Who knows? So let's keep those families in mind. And if you haven't uh, the opportunity to donate, uh, the governor, uh, Polis, has put on the website how people can contribute to those who have been impacted by losing everything. If someone right. told me there was a fire and I had to take out one, I don't leave, I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, let's end on a happy note. One, okay. I think I think government worked because how did they get everybody out of those houses? How could it be that nobody, I pray, lost their life in this? Or let's hope it's minimal. That's wonderful, I, right? That's government that working. That's phenomenal. Yes. That's phenomenal. So that is a part of, of the aggressive, uh, you know, first responders. Yes. And good systems. That, good systems that work. You know why you want political office aside from being smart and determined and having the right policies? It's that smile of yours. And the bad thing about a mask is I can't see it, but I bet I can see it in your eyes when you are around your grandchildren I know that makes you smile, and you're going to— It does. Tell tell us about you. You know, you you bragged on your own grandma. Are you as good as she was? I don't think so. I'm I'm aspiring to get there, but I'm I'm really— What do they call you? What do your grandchildren call you? So I'm I'm Nana, and I have four grandchildren. How old? I have Zion, who's the youngest. He's five. I have Nia, that's 13. I have Nyla, that's 17. And I have Nyrema, that's five. And then I have my daughter, who who was the, uh, who produced these grandchildren for me. Aisha. Yeah, Maisha. Ma- I'm sorry, Maisha, right. Ma- is, is, 
Would you give my regards to Maya Shin? She's so accomplished, and uh, she was part of our first meeting. Uh, Yes, she was. What is Maisha doing these days? She's worked for so many prominent politicians. She's got her hands full as a mother, but what's she up to? You know, right now she's working for the Brady Organization, which is out of uh, Washington, D.C. She's their vice president of outreach. I love that. I've got a picture right here of me shaking hands with uh, the late James Brady, who got shot by a Colorado guy who was trying to kill Ronald Reagan. I I I love that. Sarah Brady, I love that organization and what they did. So that's one of many things that she's doing. She's still working with the Gov's office, POLIS, as it relates to um, vaccines, making sure that they're in the outreaches in uh, communities where people may be stuck in their home and can't not get out to, let's say, UC Health. So she makes sure that those um, mobile units are in uh, churches across the state and trusted partners that will make sure that we get more people vaccinated. I know you say and, we're not we're not supposed to. I, I'm sorry. Keep going on that. No, now there's other. There's much more that she's doing, but that's just like a summary. Is she your heir apparent? Is she going to run for office? I think someday she will. But you know, um, the the salary for lawmakers is not that great. What about Aurora Mayor? Because I think Mayor Maisha really resonates. <laughs> I like that idea. I'll tell her about that. Please pass that along. Please pass that along. And and my regards to the whole family. Rhonda, Thank you. And you're mine so, to you as well. You're so generous with your time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. All the best. All the best to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show. But more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if you if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like, I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and, you know, meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep. And I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887. Or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you.
Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Hi, Craig. Hey, Summer. Thanks for being on my podcast. Have you ever done a podcast before? I don't think so. Well, every word you are saying is being recorded and then it will be published to the world. So I advise you to choose your words carefully, but I know what a great lawyer you are and you are one of the smartest, most accomplished attorneys in Colorado. And I'm just thrilled to have you in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge at long last. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy. To well, be in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Well, it, it, it's thrilling to me. I, I've been doing it for about seven years. I've had so many prominent attorneys sit in and talk about their life. I know a good bit about your life, that you're a wonderful mother, wife, accomplished attorney, but I don't know your roots as well as I should, Summer. First of all, tell everybody how you spell your beautiful first name and how often that comes up. <laughs> sure. So I spell my name with an O. So it's S-O-M-M-E-R. And um, that comes up quite often, actually. you would, I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised because it is an unusual name. And I bet with your last name, too, there are options. I mean, uh, some last names, there aren't a lot of different ways to spell it. But how do you spell Luther? Luther is L-U-T-H-E-R. And are there any Lex Luthers in the Luther family? I know you married into it. I know your husband, Travis, but I've never asked that. Is there a Lex Luther? There is not a Lex Luther, but there is a Lexi Luther, who is our dog. Oh, I know. And you spell that L-E-X-I? Yes. And you are not always a dog person. I like to think that maybe I talked you into it, or am I wrong? Did you grow up with dogs? I, I grew up with dogs. I When I moved out to Colorado to go to law school, I got a dog um, almost immediately. And so I have I, I love having dogs in the family. And it had been some years that my husband and I had had dogs until recently. And I think it was about the same time that you got one of your dogs uh, that we decided to get a puppy to add to the family. Right. She's amazing. We love her. And we feel like we're a lot older and we perhaps can help you make decisions. And we just happen to be circumstanced where you have two beautiful boys, one of them named Benny, the other named Henry. And I have two beautiful boys, Benny and another named Sammy. And our boys are what, about 10 years older than yours. So I've kind of let you see what it's like to raise these kids. How old are your boys now? So my boys are 12 and 14. And yeah, you and I have definitely talked over the years about the boys and I've appreciated your insight as the boys, my boys were growing and reaching the milestones that your kids had already been through. But gosh, what a challenging time. How is uh, the Luther family surviving COVID and trying to get an education? It's tough at any age, but I think 12 and 14, and with your busy law practice, which we will talk about, how do you do it? Yeah, COVID was was an interesting time, obviously, for everyone, and I feel like we were we were very fortunate, you know, got tried to look at the silver lining and everything, definitely enjoyed 
more time with the kids and, you know, kind of those quiet times, more family dinners. Um, but the, the remote school really, I think, was was one of the biggest challenges. And so I am happy that my kids are back in school. They seem to be thriving. And, um, you know, all in all, I think we survived it fairly well. Definitely very fortunate. It's been a rough time to be a lawyer, to be a parent, to be anything. We're all going through it together. And um, let's talk about your life in the law. Do you have sure. law, Do you have your lawyers in your family background? No, I am the only lawyer in the family. So how did that happen? Tell us about your upbringing, where it was, and why you decided you were going to be a lawyer. Well, I, um, I'm from Florida, so I grew up in Florida. I um, did my undergrad at the University of Florida. And I think really through high school, I wanted to actually wanted to become a judge. And that was my main goal. And so I knew if I wanted to be a judge, I needed to be a lawyer first, at least in most instances. That's true. Um, so I really kind of set my path pretty early um, with the goal of being a judge and as I got into law but, school, but where, did, where did that come from, Summer? I mean, you know, how, how does a person decide they want to be a judge? <laughs> I, you know, it's a great question, and I'm not really sure I ever figured out where it came from. I think, you know, I, I really love helping people resolve issues, and I think that it, it just seemed a way that I could do good and help people. You know, I thought judges, you know, help resolve disputes between people. And, you know, I just was, I wanted to help people um, and, and kind of serve in that role, at least at that time um, of my life. That's what I wanted. And it was and good so, that, that you saw the possibility. I mean, a hundred years prior, women could barely practice law, let alone aspire to be a judge. But was it Judge Judy? Was it Judge Sandra Day O'Connor? Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Somebody else who said, hey, you know what? I'm a female and I can do it. Or did your gender have nothing to do with it? Well, it, and you know, I don't know that it had nothing to do with it. I have my mother always worked outside of the home. She was a professional and um you know, was a really great role model for me to be able to see that you can, you know, handle, a f juggle the family and be a woman in a professional setting. And, you know, it was great. I think I always really had that influence that I could do anything that I wanted to do. And um, I thought my mother was a great role model for me. She wasn't in the law. She wasn't in a lawyer. Um, but just seeing that, um, and all that she did with her profession and her family and our family, you know, it really just it it just gave me the confidence that I could go and and do this. Um, and the law was was what I was drawn to. It had to be so thrilling for your family. For my family, it was like, oh, yeah, another lawyer, you know, because we have so many in the family. But to be the first lawyer. How did your family react to that? I think they were very excited. Um, they were, you know, they were happy that I had chosen something and that I was on a path and they were extremely supportive. 
Um, and my ideas of what I wanted to do definitely evolved as I was in law school and exposed to a whole bunch of new things. And I had many interests and I would continually change uh, what I wanted to do. Um, and they were always really supportive and I think excited for me. Well, what about that aspiration to be a judge? I can definitely <laughs> see you on the Colorado Supreme Court, if not higher. <laughs> Well, I, I don't really feel that calling so much any longer. I absolutely love what I do. And um, this this seems like my my perfect uh, place. And I'm not sure, you know, who knows what will happen in the future. But I, I don't have those aspirations any longer. I just want to continue to be a trial attorney. And um, this this is my my passion right now. Well, you have the resume for it. It's Florida undergrad, and then you decided to come to DU Law School. Did you know much about Colorado before then? Nope. I really knew nothing about Colorado. Um, I came out here just, you know, looking for something new, looking for opportunities. I was ready to leave Florida. Um, my mother at the time was moving to Washington, D.C., and so everything you know, the world just seemed like a very open place. And again, my parents were extremely supportive. They said, why don't you, you know, go explore, go where you want to be. And if you don't like it, you can always come home. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. And so I came out for a quick visit to Denver and really fell in love with it instantly and decided that I would uh, start my law school at University of Denver. And it was great. It was a fantastic. And obviously I'm still here. So it's been phenomenal. That's almost identical to what Federico Pena told me in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge when he came up to visit his brother, Alfredo, who is going to DU Law School, which is where my father went and my grandfather, Harry, went when it was called Westminster School of Law. So mm. I, I, I love that background on you. And so many people fall in love with Denver. What year was that? I came out to Colorado in 2000, I believe, to go to law school right after I graduated. So now you have a couple decades. What do you think about Denver and its growth since then? It's been explosive. And do you ever think, wow, everybody's experiencing what I did. They come here, they see it, they want to stay. Yeah, the, the growth in Denver has been remarkable. And I, you know, I've only been here since 2000. And so I know folks like yourself who've been here longer, it's even more remarkable, but this is, I, I understand why everyone's drawn to it. Um, but there is so many, so many things have changed in Denver and it's, it's really an amazing city. It is. And you're a remarkable part of it. I've watched your ascension. Tell everybody your journey uh, now you are at a new practice. We're going to talk about that, where you're doing mass torts, and there's a new sex offenders law that you and I really need to talk about. But um, for 20 years, what have you been doing? <laughs> so I, I came out here to go to law school. Um, it was pretty much when I first started law school, I, I immediately got involved in the student law office, which is kind of operates as a legal aid clinic and um, the students get the opportunity to practice under the supervision of their professors. And it's a very, very cool experience. Um, so through that, I 
at that time became very interested in housing issues. And I worked really closely with a lot of national housing projects um, that were focused on helping individuals with project-based housing and different voucher programs that were taking you know, in place. And it was fascinating work um, to be involved in. And I really, really, really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the opportunity to represent people. You can go to court as a student to represent individuals in eviction proceedings. Um, all of that was very interesting. Um, really, really enjoyed that time. And then I ended up in my third year of law school getting an internship at um, what was then Leventhal, Brown and Puga, which I know that you know. And I worked there as a law clerk um, through most of my third year. And that firm focused all on plaintiff's side uh, medical malpractice cases. And that was that was a very, very transformative experience. Um, I ended up going to work for Leventhal, Brown and Puga right out of law school and work there for about four and a half years and just had the most tremendous education experience um, introduction to really being a trial lawyer. And that's where I fell in love with with this work. And you stayed with Leventhal how long? So I stayed with um, that firm for about four and a half years. And then um, that was about the time that my oldest son, Henry, was born. And then I moved to, um, I did a couple of things at the same time. I started my own practice for a short period of time. Um, and then I um, started working with Greg Gold, who I just recently left um, that firm in uh, in April. The, and gold, that, the Gold Law Firm, Greg Gold, the, a, that's a great right. friend of both of ours. That's right. And I worked with Greg for 14 years, which was amazing. Um, he's really a phenomenally talented lawyer, a very, very good friend. And it was that was also a really amazing experience those years with him. I witnessed a lot of it. What a great team you were. But now you're with a new firm. Tell everybody about that. Sure. So in April, I moved to um, Wagstaff Law Firm and really this, um, you know, sad to leave Greg for sure, but so excited about the opportunity here. Um, my partners handle mass tort cases all over the country, um, really do phenomenal work representing people who've been harmed. We, we focus a lot on pesticide litigation. So, you know, they round up and paraquat and those pesticides that are so terrible and are so damaging to people. Um, our firm spends almost all of our time dedicated to that type of litigation. And then I also am working um, pretty intently on sexual abuse cases all over the country. And so I have the opportunity to be able to help people on a nationwide basis. And it's it's been tremendous. Very, very exciting. I'm very happy to be here. Right. And there's an exciting new law from the perspective of uh, plaintiff's lawyers like you, like me, uh, and you help make it happen. We will get into that, but I want to go back through your 20 years because you are a trial attorney. You are so well regarded in the Colorado trial lawyer world. You served as president of our organization. Through the years, 
What have been your favorite cases that stand out as you look back? Oh, my goodness. I have been so fortunate over the years to represent some of the most amazing people. And, um, you know, they're, it, the responsibility that you have when someone who is experiencing the worst time of their life, when they come to you to help, they need help, and you get the opportunity to do that, it's, it's amazing, and it's very humbling. And I just, over the years, representing folks who have, I mean, just the worst tragedies from losing children to, um, you know, losing the, their livelihood because of injuries, there's been so many cases uh, that have just really helped form me as a person and given me the opportunity to help people. It's it's so it's incredibly honoring. Um, it's just I'm so honored to be able to do this. You know, I represented uh, with with Greg. We represented a woman who lost her son when her her young son was hit by a bus, and it was extremely tragic. Um, but we worked really hard on that case, and I think really had the opportunity to change her life um, and allow her to to move forward and, and create wonderful memories, um, in honor of her son. And it was, it was rough, but it was very rewarding. I have had the pleasure of practicing all over Colorado, really mainly the metro area. Uh, I did do the Capitol Hill rapist first DNA case in Colorado in Pitkin County on a change of venue. But for me, if I'm asked, which one is your favorite courthouse? It's this city and county building in Denver. What about for you? Is there a particular courthouse or courtroom where you say, this is where I had my best experiences? Yeah, you know, I think that it would probably also be um, the city and county of Denver building for me as well. I think that's where I tried one of my very first cases, and I've tried many cases in that building since. Um, it's very, very nostalgic for me, um, the hallways, the courtrooms, just the memories that come back, um, especially as you know, I started my career there and some of my first cases and then watching kind of the evolution of growing as a lawyer and, and how, it, how I interact in that building now um, compared to when I was a baby lawyer. But I would definitely say the city and county of Denver. So it's a great I have great memories in that building. Right, and the building is spectacular. I wish all the courthouses were like that. They should be places of grandeur, not like a jail cell. What did we do? We're the lawyers. Why do we have to go into this little box to try a case? Give me the beautiful pillars and tall ceilings of the city and county building. And I just went to New York to cover the Ghislaine Maxwell trial That's ongoing great. now at the Thurgood Marshall U.S. District Court House, the Southern District of New York. And that building is just a gigantic version of the city and county building. Same steeple on the top with, uh, uh, I think it's an eagle on top of both. Uh, I know in Denver it was given by Mayor Spears' widow to the city, but I just love those old buildings, don't you? Oh, I absolutely do. They're so... I mean, they're just so amazing, and there's so much history in those buildings, and they're beautiful, and you really feel like this is the place you have to 
step up your game. You're in this beautiful place. I mean, it, it is really, it's very inspiring to be in those old buildings. It's inspiring for me to get to talk to great lawyers uh, such as yourself. But let me ask you, in your uh, couple decades of practice, what lawyers stand out to you? Probably Jim Leventhal. He's legendary. We've already started praising him. Let's give him some more. Yeah, Jim Leventhal is a tremendous lawyer. Um, he, I, I, like I said, as a new lawyer, had the opportunity to work um, with him, and really just an experience that not many people get to get to have. And I was able to go everywhere with him. I went to all the depositions and the meetings and the trials and the brainstorming sessions and working with the experts. And you know, he. He always is working so hard to do the best for his clients that he possibly can. And, you know, sometimes that means taking really hard positions that aren't popular, but it's the right thing to do. And I think he really showed me how to do that and how to make sure that the clients are always first, no matter if everyone else in the room doesn't agree with you, it's the right thing to do by the client. It has to be done. Um, And that learning experience was tremendous. outstanding. Um, you know, Jim Puga at that firm as well was, I could say the same things about him. You know, Jim Puga is, is one of the best lawyers that I've ever seen or worked with. Um, just the, a great, great firm over there. And you've got um, to be in that field because med mal is hard. That's difficult work. The odds are stacked against you. The statutes are against you. And people love doctors for the most part. So it's really a tough field, right? It's extremely tough. It's, it is difficult issues, difficult medicine, big fights, everything's on the line, high stakes. And, um, those, that firm does that at a level that is, is really, really outstanding. Um, and they do very well by their clients. Some laws in Colorado are rough on plaintiff's attorneys and their clients. Some have been improved. You weren't even here when Bill Owens was legislator. I was in the DA's office, and we had tort reform, or as we like to call it, tort deform, where it limits this, you can't do that. There are caps, the government's protected, just a whole series of right-wing agenda items to protect corporations insurance companies, and those sorts of things. But we have fought back. I'm just a member of longstanding with the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association, but you ascended the ranks at a young age. You were Young Lawyer of the Year, and then you rose through the ranks to be president of the organization. Tell everybody about the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association and what it does and what you did as president. Sure. I'm, um, I love the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association. I think that I love trial lawyers. I love being around trial lawyers. But that organization is focused on making sure that people have access to courts. And a lot of what you're talking about, Craig, is what they spend time on is, is trying to you know, roll back some of that court deform or tort deform and really make things as level of a playing field as possibly can, you know, we still are really struggling with a lot of the things that passed during that time when tort reform came to Colorado. And I think that, you know, trial lawyers are dedicated to chipping that back and, 
and making sure that there's access um, to Coloradans to the court system. And and as president, we I spent a and all the presidents of the organization do, but we spend a lot of time at the Capitol on legislative issues and really trying to work hard on that. During my year as president, we were able to increase the caps on the damages for some cases. And so we were able to increase caps on damages for non-economic damages, wrongful death, dram shop, you know, some of these that had been set at very low limits. Now, of course, any cap, is a bad cap, <laughs> but you know I don't think there should be any caps. But we were able to make progress at least to increase those caps. And um, if we have to have them, you know, we wanted them to be increased. So I was really proud of that. Um, and there's there's so many things that we bring down to the Capitol to make sure that um, the legislators get to hear the stories of our clients and what's actually happening and, and how they're being impacted by these laws. And little by little, we're making change. Um, it's it's definitely not easy. There's huge forces against us. But I think that the trial lawyers do a tremendous job continuing to fight um, for what's right. Even though it's hard, they keep fighting for it. So it's a great organization. I love the trial lawyers organization. And you fight under the gold dome. I can picture you arriving from Florida. I bet you looked at the Colorado Capitol and said, hey, that's pretty cool. They got gold on the top. It looks like Washington. I think we modeled a lot of our city uh, after the East Coast. But did you ever think you were going to work in the Capitol? And I know you did. You testified. You lobbied. What was that like being in that great building? That that feels a lot like being in the city of county building. You know, right. there's so, so much great energy in that building. Um, I love that. I really do love the politics. Um, you know, I, I think I have a love-hate relationship with politics, <laughs> as many people do. Um, you know, you always really want to um, get as much as you can, and, and you there need to be compromises to get things done, and, and that's just the way politics works. Um, but that was one of my favorite things was being at the Capitol, interacting with legislators, testifying, you know, making sure that they were seeing the the viewpoint and the experiences of our clients. And it was, I, I love it. I still do it today. Um, I still am active on the Colorado Trial Lawyers Legislative Committee. And um, it's just something I'm very passionate about. And I really, really enjoy it. I've witnessed the history of various statutory battles, and I remember Joan Fitzgerald out of Jefferson County, popular Democrat, won a uh, countywide office. Not easy to do in Jeffco, but then she, uh, in the legislature, she she championed uh, a change in the statute of limitations and some things that might open up the Catholic Church to possible litigation over. Uh, the various sexual improprieties that have come to light. And she lost. And I was on a radio show where Dan Kaplis, my law partner, he very much opposed opening up this statute. I saw merit in it. I mean, there are pros and cons. But through the years, as I've become more educated, just watching the world and being shocked by one scandal after another U.S. Olympic Committee uh, not just the Catholic Church, but the Mormon Church and uh, some Jewish denominations have been subject to this stuff. The Boy Scouts, uh, 
it, it, it just goes on and on. And I think as a society, we're waking up not just to how prevalent it is, but how damaging it is and how normal it is for kids to sit on this information. And it's only fair in my judgment that they get a chance to tell their story because they were kids and we know how these things develop. Gosh, it's great that the CTLA got involved in this. Uh, Just respond to what I said and tell everybody about the great new statutory changes that you and others have helped uh, accomplish in Colorado. Yeah, so, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more on all of your comments. This, I mean, survivors of child sexual abuse are they have, they suffer so much and they endure so much. And I think what we're learning and seeing across the country is, you know, there's so much shame that goes along with this. There's so much fear that so many people have these experiences in their life at young, as a young child, and they continue to deal with the devastating impact of it but they're, they don't come forward to tell anybody or to report it. And for so many reasons. And now I think what we're seeing in our country is that those individuals who are now in their forties, fifties, sixties, who've endured this lifelong trauma and suffering because of the abuse that they suffered as children are now getting an opportunity to have a voice and to get justice from the people who did this to them. Not only the individuals who actually harmed them, but the institutions that allowed it to happen. And so across the country, thankfully, these things are being acknowledged and laws are changing. And I'm so proud of Colorado for the new bill that they passed this past session that goes into effect on January 1st. What it's going to do is allow those individuals who have been dealing with this since they were children and have there's statute of limitations or the time to bring a claim has long passed. This new law is going to create what we call a window. It's going to be three years where these old claims can be revived and be brought and filed in Colorado so that they can seek justice. Um, it's, it's extremely exciting. I'm so excited that um, these survivors who really, really deserve justice are going to have the opportunity um, to, to get that now because of this law. It is a remarkable law. Senate Bill 2188 signed into law by Jared Polis this past year, effective as Summer Luther just told you, January, tw- January 1, 2022. And I think it, the timing of this is kind of remarkable. One, it applies to acts after January 1st, 1960. Do you know why they chose that date? I mean, some of us were born before 1960. You know, I don't know why they chose that date, unfortunately. I can't answer that question. Um, they did choose that date, so that that is the date in the statute. Um and so it is for claims for after 1960, but um, I I don't I don't know why they chose that date. Maybe they just had to choose some date. And fortunately, I never suffered anything like that. But it, it just struck me as interesting to choose uh, 1160. But there are a lot of interesting things in this statute. The three-year window, as you talked about, there is uh, to tell everybody about the caps on damages. And you might know about the fight that went into that. 
So there are there are some limitations, and this is kind of the the love hate relationship that I have with politics, because um, I really don't think there should be caps on these types of claims. But you know, as we were working through this legislation, um, you know, part of the part of the issues that came up were about the caps on the damages and the way this bill ended up being written and what the law will be is that for any claims that involve the state of Colorado as a defendant, so, you know, schools, universities, any public uh, facility, they're going to be subject to the same Colorado governmental immunity cap that is in place. And I think that is about 347,000 right now. I will continue to be increased for inflation over time. But those public entities, um, there will that cap will apply to any claims against them. For any private entities, um, churches or other youth organizations, um, they're going to also uh, there be a cap on the claims against those entities, and the cap for those claims will be five hundred thousand dollars per claim. But the statute does include an opportunity for a judge to increase um, that amount based on clear and convincing evidence, and that cap can be increased to a million dollars. So, you know, we're looking at two caps, one that applies to private entities and the other one that, excuse me, one that applies to the public entities of the 347,000 and then the private entities of 500,000, which can be increased to a million. Wow, that's super well explained. I expect nothing less from you. And when I talked about how interesting this timing is, it's been brought to my attention that it's 25 years since the tragic murder of Sean Benet Ramsey. And I got very involved in analyzing that case as a former prosecutor. And there were many accusations of uh, that she was sexually abused in the process of also being killed. Whether that was part of the staging or not, the fact is that Sean Benet kind of unearthed a world where people were looking at this sexualized little girl and wondering about our society and why parents would do that. And I was thinking about that while I was sitting in the courtroom uh, hearing about the evidence against Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein and thinking about this systemic way they went about abusing young girls. He, he could have had any woman he wanted, but he wanted them super young, and it was ridiculous and criminal. And it, look at all the people who got involved in helping. That's really what it's about, the, the systemic abuse of children. And we've seen it in various institutions. My God, the Boy Scouts so respected when I grew up, but now what did they do in other organizations? How widespread is this, Summer? Are, are you surprised by it as we've all become uh, seen it in the news? Well, um, unfortunately, I'm not surprised by it. I think it is very widespread, unfortunately. And I think that the real unfortunate thing is that many of these institutions knew what was going on. And instead of addressing it and stopping it, they allowed it to go on and and they just hit it or moved people around or tried to pretend like it didn't exist. And I think that is it's it's terrible, it's despicable. And you know, I'm I'm glad to see that this these things are coming to light so people understand 
you know, how prevalent this was and and what these children endured at the hands of these institutions that were supposed to be there to protect them. Um, we represent a number of survivors from the Boy Scout cases and a number of survivors from the USA Gymnastics cases. And um, it's it's really awful when you look at at what happened and who knew what at what time and how many opportunities there were to stop this behavior but yet it was allowed to continue. And people say, some people who I talk to say, well, it really didn't happen in Colorado. The church scandal, the Boy Scouts, it's not Colorado, USA Gymnastics. Last I looked, they're kind of headquartered in Colorado Springs, but it's systemic. And I admire the work of Phil Weiser as Attorney General. Uh, what role did he play, if any, in, in changes in Colorado? Well, you know, as to Senate Bill 88, I can't speak to that, but I do know the Attorney General's office did conduct a very thorough study a few years ago about abuse in the Catholic Church, the diocese here in Colorado. And I would definitely say to your point that this happened in Colorado. This is probably unfortunately still happening in Colorado. Um, And I think that, you know, investigations like what the Attorney General did, I think are very, very important. You know, this is this is about making sure people know about this and are aware of the issues because that's the only way that it's going to stop. And that's the only way we're going to be able to protect children. Um, so it's, it is, it, there's many different entities that have to come together to, to put an end to this. And um, the attorney general's office, I think at least from that report that I've seen appears to be very committed to, to putting an end to this. Right, and the message needs to go out, whether it's criminal prosecution or civil liability, that we're not going to put up with this stuff. And if you're part of an organization, and you are part of a law firm, so am I, if, God forbid, you found out about somebody in your office committing uh, sex acts against children, you might worry, oh, what's it going to do to our reputation? What about this? What about that? Put those concerns aside. You need to stop this. You need to report this. This is the kind of thing that you can't just cover up. Am I right? Oh, 100%. The damage that is done to these children is lifelong. They They suffer their entire lives after being the victim of one of the one of these incidents and it has to be stopped. And you know, there's so much the children who are abused tend, you know, there's so much fear, there's so much shame. The abusers usually tell them that they're going to hurt them or hurt their family or, you know, if they come forward and tell the truth and, and people cannot be scared to speak up. You must speak up because you're saving children and it's their whole lives ahead of them that is going to be impacted. Um, it's it nobody can nobody can look away from these types of events. Uh, we have to be able to stand up and, and put this to an end. Well said. What about Benny and Henry? Would you be proud if they become lawyers? Do you think they will? <laughs> I'd be very proud if they became lawyers. Um, right now, they're very much into their sports, and so that professional athlete is is looking a little bit more enticing to them than lawyer, but we shall see. <laughs> But I think those skills translate. You know, you have to be on offense sometimes, defense others, and you have to learn how to work with the team. I think competitive sports is a perfect entree into the law. 
especially trial oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. What about you? What was your sport? How did you become so feisty and formidable? <laughs> My sport was swimming. I was I was always a swimmer as a kid, and I loved it. I still love it, actually. Um, so, yeah, so that was my sport. Wow. Well, Summer Luther, I can't thank you enough. It's great getting you into Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Good luck with your new law firm. I know you will do great. You're already doing great. Uh, I expect to see you on the Colorado Supreme Court after, you know— in another ten years, when when you're kid, when you're an empty nester like Trish and me. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me, Craig. I enjoyed our conversation today. I sure did. Have a merry, merry Christmas and happy New Year, and pass it along to Travis and the boys. Okay. Thank you. Same to you. All right. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, if you like this show, please shout it out on your Purple Apple Podcast app. It would be so wonderful if you would scroll down, spot that place to leave a five-star review, and your personal review. Kind words appreciated. Thanks so much. Tell your friends. Troubadour, Dave Gunders, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Craig. This is our New Year's special. We've got all the fresh stuff. Other shows are, you know, canned, pre-recorded, all that crap. We do it last minute to give you the latest current events, including that awful fire, the death of Betty White. We 
we need to talk about these things first. The fire, Troubadour. Well, you I'm, are you are Boulder. When I think of Boulder, I think of Dave Gunders, oh, the Mighty Twisters, the Scatterbrains. I've spent a lot of time in Boulder, and I and I would like to say my my heart goes out to the people who uh, who lost everything, um, and and I I can't even imagine what what they're going through, and it's on a it's on a pretty dramatic level too in terms of the number of families now that have been displaced. So I, I just can't even imagine what they're, what, you know, how they begin to rebuild. But thankfully, it, it seems that there was no loss of life. Right, and I don't know. That's one thing that we have to put this podcast out there before we know for sure. I don't think they've combed through all the properties. You have to think there might have been some elderly people. There may have been... Some people who just refused uh, the directive, we, we know about that from COVID, but I think the government did a good job saving humanity, which is the main thing. Property, you have insurance, it's horrible, and uh, it, it's the biggest, uh, one of the biggest disasters in Colorado history. I, I've, Craig, I've never heard of, a, I don't remember a fire anywhere in this country that's, um, you know, that destroyed 800 homes. Well, the the great Chicago fire and, and San Francisco's had a hell of a fire, but but I I understand right. what you were saying in our lifetime. In, in our lifetime, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about our neighborhood. We talk about being neighbors, and I think other people can relate. In Southeast Denver area, you think you're safe, but my gosh, I'm looking at my trees, and if they were on fire the way the trees were in Louisville and Superior, and it was just jumping. The thing we count on is we're never going to have 100-mile-an-hour winds, but is that true? Can we ever say never again? We could we could potentially experience winds like that. Right, and the climate is changing, and uh, I talked with Rhonda Fields about that on this episode, but you are the perfect guy, one, because you are Boulder County strong. You have your roots there, and then— you wrote a perfect song, All That Water, which is what Boulder needs now. We need this snow. But Boulder's been visited by so much tragedy. When you think about the Boulder flood, how calamitous that was, and then the horrible massacre at the Boulder King Supers. This was a city when Jean Benet was killed 25 years ago. She was the first murder that year. You think that Boulder rated number one place in the world to live? Why does this keep happening in the nestled, beautiful town and county of Boulder? Well, it doesn't seem to be insulated anymore from what could, you know, from tragedies. In fact, I talked with my friend Suzanne, and and this, um, you know, getting back to the to the song, I had written the song for uh, for my friends up there. They they live um, uh, off of Neva Road near Haystack, north of Boulder, and and uh, they suffered uh, the you know the the impact of the flood back how many years ago has that been seven years or so seven or eight years and then i just spoke with her she was evacuated yesterday in in you know in light of this north the north fire i guess the middle fork um and she said it was basically right up to her backyard and gave she gave great credit to the uh to the firefighters out there for making fire lines our Um, pal bradley stern lives in superior i was honored to give him a place to sleep last night you don't want to be in that toxic smoke thank goodness rocky flats was not impacted the plutonium who knows all of that but 
You wrote that song about rebuilding in the wake of tragedy, and now a life goes on. I always wondered about that as I would go up to see you law school on the Denver-Boulder Turnpike. You'd look toward the left as you traveled to Boulder to going west, and it was pretty much vacant Mm -hmm. for the longest of time. And then we watched Superior get built in the late 90s and on. Is there a good reason maybe people didn't build there in the past? Do you think about that? Well, I don't know. I think it was just kind of waiting to, to you know, for the population. But I don't know. Um, but it's 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 a, it's a it's a hard day. It is. But your song provides inspiration about rebuilding, and uh, I think it's so cool. It starts with the mournful. Is that a fiddle or? I mean, it's mournful at the start and the finish, but it's hopeful about mm. rebuilding. And I I have a point of reference in Boulder County, of course, CU Law School, kind of that corridor. But I played that Coal Creek golf course many times, and I know it got wiped out in the flood. And I was watching it because it's right off the highway and I'm a golfer. Mm-hmm. It got closed for many years because of the flood, and I think it got impacted by this fire it's not just Boulder County. It's the same darn area of Boulder County, right? Right, right. Yeah, there's areas. That, I mean, there's susceptible because of the canyons. You know, the, it was the canyons that that gave rise to the to the flooding. You know, that where there had been um, you know a s- cloud cell up up high, and the water was funneled down um, through these canyons. So that was one. But I think it's also it also um, is is you know, conducive to high winds coming out of those canyons. Yes, but it's the flatlands. That's what's gotten me and every homeowner on the front range looking at their house. Wait, these things happen in the mountains, not on the flatland. And flood, fire. Anyway, it's a new year, so I want to be optimistic. But Betty White just died. And uh, you know how old she was? Boy, Betty White must have been late 90s. Very good guess. 99, and she was going to turn 100 in January. People Magazine was going to do a big cover. She's been part of our entire lives when you think about it. Do you remember when you first got to know her? I was, I was, I was asking you who what, who did she play when was it one like Beaver's mom or someone like that, right? No, that was Barbara Billings. Oh, that's right. That's right. All right. Betty White grew up in LA. Went to Beverly Hills High School, not that she was rich or anything, but this is way back when. My God, she was born 100 years ago. So depression, all of that. She grew up there. She made it big in Hollywood, but not right away because they said she wasn't photogenic. And she said, but I want to be in show business. So she went to radio. Same thing I did because people have told me, Craig, you're not, anyway, I've got a face for radio. Don't you agree? Very much so. <laughs> Another thing, that while we're on the subject of Lux, and I think you're a handsome guy, and anybody can see it by going to Dave Gunder's music and looking at your album covers, that stuff. Of course, you're only putting your best pictures on there, right? Right. Okay, but I think if you had to rate your looks, be self-reflective. At what age would you say you are at your most handsome? Um, I'm getting there. <laughs> I agree. As for me, I'd say it was probably around when I was 40. Mm-hmm. I was watching that Nine News thing about the Holler case. I was much better looking then, taller, fuller hair, darker mustache. But I'm doing okay, and I'm a lot younger than you, so watch your mouth. But I, 
I'm thinking about Betty White because she was an attractive person, plenty photogenic, right? Yeah, I mean, it seemed uh, Betty White. I, I I became more familiar with her as she became older, right? And that's why she's such an inspiration because yeah. she never faded in old age. She only got better. And her biggest part was as a golden girl playing an old age lady who still liked to drink and carouse, kind of the Sue Ann Nevins character she played on the Mary Tyler Moore show, a okay. man-hungry person. But you got to know her when you were a kid, although you're a lot older. So did you even have TV when you were a kid? I think I'm only a couple of years older than you. Do you remember Ukraine. game Let's... shows? <laughs> you remember game shows on TV? There were game shows. Tell the Truth, Password. Remember the host Jeopardy. of Password? Yeah, Jeopardy. Yeah. yeah. Who was the host of Password? Alan Ludden. Oh, there we go. Who graduated Ooh. from Panhandle State, who he played in basketball. Anyway, she married Alan Ludden. She oh. was a regular on Password. Of course, if you marry the host, you're going to be a regular. Mm -hmm. And she was good. She was witty. Mm -hmm. And she parlayed radio and TV game shows into more substantive parts, maybe a movie part or two. But the point is, as she got older, she was perfect looking for the roles she was going to play. Right. And uh, now in 99, she says goodbye. And right on New Year's, a lot of people passing away, Harry Reid, John Men, And we're back to the pandemic, another old Lang Syne. It looks like another COVID Christmas and New Year's. And uh, what are you thinking about that, Nostradamus? Uh, I let you out of quarantine. Rachel survived your My HIPAA God. violation yeah. last week and uh, the COVID my, sorry, Ray. If, I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't. Uh, didn't uh, hurt hurt any 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 feelings Everybody as far as giving it up. Get COVID. Yeah, every, I think it's true. But anyway, no, she's fine. She's well past her her quarantine time, and she's fine, healthy. Um, and we're we're enjoying our time with her before she goes back to New York in a few days. And I heard you did some devastating skiing the other day. It was yeah, it was great. We we went up the day after Christmas. It was great, and the conditions were were good. Yeah. Wonderful. And Rachel's back to skiing. She's back out. to skiing. She oh, did perfect. fantastic. So thank you for that. Well, I think there's a wonderful song. It's inspirational. Anything else you want to say about all that water? Shout out, New Year's greetings to the world and the people affected in Boulder. You know, it just, it, all that water, I wanted to, to bring out that how important it is to, to uh, when, when making a recovery like that, to have your loved ones uh, next, you know, near you, and and to and to to you know move forward with a common vision. It's so important that the people who have to rebuild now will do that. And I know the community of Boulder is going to be there, backing them in every way. You had mentioned too that the government had done a good job getting people evacuated. Now, now it's going to be government's chance in Boulder County, I would imagine, to help them resettle um, and do what's needed while you know during this long next few years uh, while the rebuilding you know begins. Thank you, Troubadour, for everything you've done in 2021. Happy 2022. May we have many more great years of being neighbors and partners on this show and dog loving. Just really appreciate you, man. Everybody give a listen to this wonderful song about a tragedy in Boulder County, but it's optimistic, just like Troubadour Dave Gunders. Here you go. All that water.
talk to me, love, cause I can't sleep. Dreaming of rain won't stop falling. I look to the sky and watching the creek. In the early dawn, I heard the horses call. I jumped from the porch, man, I can't believe. Falling to a river when the river should be. Made it to the barn, set the horses free. Got them up to higher ground. Tell me now, love, what's that sound? Tearing the roots, the old trees falling. The one that the kids used to play around when the family got together on a Sunday. And it's the place we love. All that water. By the river, you're gonna get wet. Have I told you lately you're the one I love? Look at this place built together. Thunder rolls down from high above, but water can't take it away forever. It's gonna take wind, gonna go deep. You and me together, there's no denying. Gonna pull our life up out of this creek, build it up after the flood. The life we love All that water I see it when I close my eyes Now's the time Baby got a mind to try I found the picture Put it on a rock to dry We can face each other if we walked away We ain't gonna listen to what they say Think a man knows what we ought to do Neighbors telling us we better face the truth Saying too much damage, really nothing to do But I'm not ready to go, are you? No, we're not ready to go just yet I look in the face, I find the answer I love to see you, baby, when your mind is set There'll be a garden after the flood Cause this life we love All that water the river man you're gonna get wet but we built our dream we'll never forget the water's still rising man we're gonna get wet
Well, when you've been practicing law for almost 40 years like me, you learn a thing or two. If you have a legal problem, give me a call. 303-861-2800 at Springer and Steinberg. We do all kinds of law. Call me 303-861-2800. We will help solve your problem. Thank you. So that was our show. I hope you enjoyed it. All that water, I'm still humming it. It gets in your head, doesn't it? I hope these people can rebuild their lives. Such a loss in Colorado. And the murder of Michael Swinyard and so many others, it got to me. I mention him because I know people who knew him. He was a great golfer. May all the victims rest in peace. Summer Luther, thank you so much. You're a good friend and wonderful lawyers. Rhonda Fields, you are so special. Thanks for listening during 2021 to my podcast. Please tell a friend, share it, subscribe. You know what to do. Until next week, have a great one. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.